Well, amen. Today, I uh, obviously have us in Philippians, and I have us there for a couple of different reasons. First and foremost, because uh, during my study this week, I realized, um, uh, as is the case with most of Revelation, I bit off a little bit more than I can chew this week, all right? And uh, I realized about halfway through the week that I needed a little bit more time to uh, study Revelation chapter 7. Uh, Revelation 7 is a very tough passage. Uh, go ahead and read it. You'll see why. And so I got, about, uh, I got it about to Thursday, Thursday into Friday morning, and, I, and I, uh, I basically threw away my sermon. I texted the elders. I told Steve and Adam uh, this week I threw away my sermon because I just, I, it just was not right. Uh, this week. It's something I rarely do. Um, usually at that point in the week, I'm pretty much set with kind of where I'm going that week, but, uh, but it was necessary this week, and so I, I just, sometimes that's the way you got to roll as a pastor. But second, the reason why I picked this particular passage is because uh, I need to hear this text today. I need to hear this passage today. Um, as a pastor, I get up here every Sunday, and um, I need to first and foremost, be sensitive first to what God is doing in my heart and what God is doing in my life as your pastor before I can minister to you. And, um, and that needs to be true really before any sermon that you preach. I'm not just talking before we get, you know, I'm an expository preacher and so I, I like to preach verse by verse through the text of scripture. And so I, I want to make sure God is talking to me first. I want to make sure that God is, is there with me first and that the spirit is working through my heart um, and that it's, 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 Preaching to me, okay, that's, that's what I want to make sure is happening. John Calvin said this, he said this, he said, if a preacher is not first preaching to himself, better that he falls on the steps of the pulpit and breaks his neck than preaches that sermon, all right? And uh, now, I'll tell you one thing, I, I wouldn't put it quite like Calvin. Uh, the, reformers, the, reformers, the reformers had a way of saying things that were, you know, whatever. They, they had a lot of passion, so I mean, like, if I... If I fall and break my neck falling down here today, I mean, hey, you know what, praise the Lord, you know, I mean, whatever, you know, I mean, whatever on that, but, uh, but I, I wouldn't quite say it like that. But however, while graphic, while very graphic, there's a lot of truth in what he said. There's a lot of truth in what Calvin said there. God needs to be at work. God needs to be worked through the pastor first if he's going to work through you as, as the congregation. And that's the reason why I'm here in this text today. And, and really, the final reason why I'm here in this text today is because... Uh, just to be quite frank with you, uh, I, I struggle with the concept of having joy. Do you struggle with having joy, believer? Do you? I do. And the reason for that lack of joy is for a lot of reasons, okay? I mean, I can, I can go through the list of reasons why I have a lack, a lack of joy, but, but mostly because if I'm just being just completely brutally honest with you this morning... I'm often not filled with gratitude and contentment in the things that I do have. Oftentimes, I'm a very ungrateful person. And, uh, you know, there's that old hymn that says, count your blessings, name them one by one. I almost had to sing it this morning. But, and I could indeed do that. I could count my blessings, name them one by one, something that we should do all the time. Uh, I believe that that lack of gratitude that that lack of contentment oftentimes begins by ignoring not just all of the blessings that God has given me as, as a Christian, as a person, but it, it begins with, the, with ignoring the greatest blessing and the greatest possible source of joy, 
And that's the gospel. I ignore and I, and I oftentimes just put aside the gospel. And folks, I'm going to tell you this. If there's one thing that you can get through my ministry here as your pastor is that the, in the gospel, you have everything. Amen? In the gospel, you have everything. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the fountain uh, from which a heart of gratitude and contentment springs. And because of that, we indeed have the strength to be able to carry on, to be able to carry on serving him, to be able to carry on honoring him and trusting him with a deep-seated joy in our hearts no matter what. And that's what I want to bring out today. It's what I need to hear. It's what I need hear, heard preached to me today. And I don't know about you, but I hope it's what you need to hear because that's what I need to hear, that gratitude, contentment, and strength are found in the gospel. Amen? Amen? That if, that, that, if, that if you are grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can be a joyful person, that you can be overarchingly content, that you can be strengthened, as this text talks about, in any situation, whether it's good or bad, whether it's bad or ugly, whatever it may be, that you can be strengthened, that you can have contentedness, that you can have gratitude in the gospel, that ultimately that you can have joy. And that as a result of finding that joy in the gospel, that you will indeed, as, I, as one of my favorite verses of Scripture... It's one that I've been clinging to, especially over the past couple months. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that you can be strengthened in the gospel. And so my prayer today is that we would all be strengthened in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you today as we jump into our text today. So first and foremost, point number one, gratitude in the gospel. Gratitude in the gospel. Read with me again uh, verse 10. Of course, we need context. I love Philippians 4.13. I think we all know Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need context, though, right? In order to understand that verse better, you need the context. And so gratitude in the gospel, verse 10. It says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so looking at the context here, contextually, of course, the Apostle Paul is writing here in the book of Philippians. Paul's main purpose in writing this particular section of the letter was, was to give thanks, was to give thanks for his church, to give thanks for the church at Philippi, how they had helped him during, during a very, very hard experience. Uh, he was in prison at this particular point. Philippians is one of those books. It's, it's one of the prison epistles. So Paul is writing from prison. And uh, so really, really hard experience. Uh, any one of us who was in, in prison at the time, I mean, we could all consider that a hard experience. And so, uh, so he's just writing to them to, to thank them uh, for all that they've done. You can read earlier on in chapter 2 of Philippians, you can read of uh, Epaphroditus, who was a member of the church at Philippi, who was sent to Paul by that church to minister to him. And Epaphroditus would have brought him a whole bunch of stuff would have brought him food and brought him clothing, supplies, probably money uh, to be able to help him with the cost of imprisonment. Being in prison back then was very different than being in prison today, and so you'd need all of these things. Uh, you know, obviously you need money and these kind of things in prison today, but, uh, but it was especially hard back then. And so what Paul is doing here in this text is he's, he's expressing his joy. He's expressing his gratitude uh, that he is he's quick to attribute not just to the church. He wants to definitely express his joy to the church and his thankfulness to the church, but also to who, according to this text. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord 
So he wants to express his, his, his thankfulness to the Lord for all of the things that God has given him, to the gifts that he's received from his brothers and sisters at that particular church. He didn't want, he used the term concern there. He didn't want their concern as he writes. And that expression of love that they've shown to him to go unnoticed. And so what does he do? He's, he's quick to show his graciousness. He's, he's quick to show his, his love and his gratefulness and his thanksgiving to this church for what they did for him. And so, and so uh, we got to understand, we got to understand that a person, if we're to take this and bring it down to us today, that, that the Christian, that the person that has this kind of joy that we're talking about today in the Lord is going to be a grateful, is going to be a thankful person. If you want joy in the Lord, you're going to be a grateful, you're going to be a thankful person. There'll be a person of gratitude that, by the way, expresses that thanksgiving, that expresses that gratitude freely, that expresses that gratitude plentifully to everyone around them, that, you, that you're just known as, I'm just thankful for what the Lord has given me, right? They're going to express that thanksgiving, their praise to God, and indeed to other people for, for, for everything that God has done for me, but also for the generosity and the, and the, and the love that other people show me, they're, they're, even, even through the most mundane of things, right? The most, the, the, the things that are just kind of everyday things that we kind of take for granted, right? The things that, that we just kind of, you know, somebody shakes our hand in church, somebody, somebody says hi to us, you know, somebody does something for us, somebody sends a card to us, whatever. We're thankful for that. Uh, we're, we're just going to show that that's where that, that, that contentedness, that that joy kind of springs from. You know, this past week, I, you know, I had, I had several people who, you know, expressing their thankfulness for me. I had, uh, not to embarrass them, but I had, uh, I had Pam Trink. She made me this, this amazing apple. I, I don't even know. I asked her this morning, where is Pam Trink? Is she back there? There she is. There she is. I know. She made me, I don't even know what the name of it is, but it's like this apple thing, okay? And it was the most delicious thing in the entire world. And uh, I probably ate about half of that. I'm going to tell you that, Pam. I'm sorry. My kids got some of it, but I, whatever. And then, and then, and you know, yeah, I know. And then Charlene, actually, later in the week, and again, I'm going to embarrass Charlene. She made, she made dinner for us one night just thinking about us and uh, brought dinner over, and it was delicious. And again, I hope my kids got some, uh, you know, uh, you know, whatever. But, but I mean, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing, showing your thankfulness. And, and, so, and so the thing is this, it's like as a Christian, as somebody who is thankful, as somebody who has joy in their heart, somebody who has been first and foremost given the greatest of all gifts, I've been given the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been given the gospel of Jesus, and I understand all that, in, that that entails, that everything else in comparison to that should just make me a grateful and thankful person for everything and anything else that I get, amen? All of the gifts that God gives us, praise the Lord for all of them, and, and, I, and I do, I praise the Lord for you, but, but, but also... As we, see, as we see here from the example of, of the church in Philippi here, the, the Philippian church, when you have the joy of the gospel in your heart, you'll notice this. We see this from the example of this church, that they're going to naturally, if you, have a, if you have that joy in your heart, that you're naturally going to be less focused upon yourself and you're going to be mo more focused on other people. You're going to be more focused on the situations, the circumstances, the problems of other people. It's just going to be part of it. It's going to be part of why you have that joy in your heart. If your joy is always full, and your joy is always full in the knowledge of knowing that I am in Jesus Christ, that I have a relationship with God, that I have the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, okay, your attitude is going to be one that strives to want to see that same joy that you have in your heart of heart multiplied in the lives of others. You're going to want to see that joy just go forth. You're going to want to see it just, just, just exuberated in the life of other people, right? You're going to want to see that. 
Uh, again, meaning, meaning that, that one of the greatest ways of attaining true joy, if you're struggling with joy today, believer, one of the greatest ways of attaining true joy is to be less focused on yourself and more focused on other people. Can we all amen that? Amen? Be less focused on yourself and more focused on the lives of, of other people, the people in your church and those around you. That's one of the greatest ways that you, can, that you can gain joy in your life. In the case of the Apostle Paul, we know he was in prison. That's what was going on in the book of Philippians. And, and what did the people of Philippi do? The church at Philippi, they responded in joy by meeting the needs of their brother who was you know, in need. That's what they were doing. And so they saw, as Paul described, he uses the term here, opportunity. They saw an opportunity to be a blessing. They saw an opportunity to be a blessing, and so what did they do? They took it. They took that opportunity in order to express their, their love, their appreciation, their joy for this brother in Christ who had done so much for them. And, and the, the joy that they had in the gospel, and that's where it roots. It's where it's always rooted. It's rooted in what I have in Jesus Christ. The joy that they had in the gospel had turned into this outward sign of love, this outward sign of appreciation for somebody who was really in more dire circumstances than they. I mean, this guy was in prison. Um, you know, if we had somebody thrown into prison amongst our midst for going to jail for preaching the gospel, I'm sure that all of us would get on board. Amen? And so that's what, that's what this church was doing. They saw needs. They saw an opportunity to be able to help another brother in Christ, the Apostle Paul here, and so they jumped at that opportunity to meet his needs. And they did this, by the way, not really thinking about the repercussions for what would happen, because, of course, back then, if you were to help a Christian who was in jail, I mean, that could have meant major, major problems for you, okay? I mean, it's not like today. I mean, like today, we, you know, we, we live in a, basically a Christian nation with not a lot of problems, not a lot of persecution, but if you were to help a Christian brother or sister who was in jail for the gospel back then, you could have been thrown in jail yourself. And so in this particular case, that church, they decided we're going to help him no matter what, okay? And, so, and, and by the way, they didn't just do it because of the repercussions, but also because they didn't, they didn't do it because of what they would receive in return. Apostle Paul couldn't give them anything. He was a poor preacher. What could they do? But only the opportunity, as it says here, to be gracious to, be, to, to a brother, or in this particular case, a brother in Christ who was in, in need. And so the first result, the first result of that joy found in the gospel of Jesus Christ in both the, the church at Philippi and indeed the Apostle Paul, you'll notice, was that heart of gratitude, was a heart of thanksgiving. And I think that's an appropriate theme topic for us to discuss today, obviously, as we enter into October, mid-October, entering into November, thinking about Thanksgiving. And that gratitude, that thankfulness is displayed through their graciousness and their love in the care for each other, care for the needs of others. And Paul expressed his gratitude to his brother and sisters in Christ for all that they had done to be a blessing for him and his ministry. And at the same time, you had the church at Philippi that displayed their graciousness and their thankfulness to him as their apostle, as their leader uh, in their gift to him. And so I would just say this. I would just say this, that I asked at the beginning, are you struggling with joy today? Are you struggling with joy? And if you're struggling with joy today, believer, understand this, that it begins, I said this before, but it begins by getting your eyes off yourself and by looking to other people, by looking to be a blessing to other people. 
That's where joy begins. It begins in the gospel, but it begins by looking outside of yourself and looking to other people. And so I would just say this, again, if you're struggling with joy, stop being so focused on yourself. Stop being so focused on your own situation and your own life and all the things that are going bad in your own life. And instead, try being a blessing to somebody else. Amen? Try being a blessing to other people. Try being there for somebody. Try, try sending a text message to somebody and just tell them, hey, listen, I love you and I'm praying for you. Try bringing them a meal. You know what I mean? Try just sending them a card. Whatever, whatever it may be, try to be there for somebody else. Be thankful, first and foremost, for what God has done for your life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then strive for that joy that you have in Christ to, to just exude that to somebody else. To try and be a blessing to someone else. What did Jesus say? Jesus said this, Acts 20, 35. He said, it is more blessed to do what than receive? To give than receive, amen? It's more blessed to give than receive. Be, be a giving person. I'm Thanksgiving coming up. Be thankful for what you, all you have been, been given and then strive to give to others. That's what it's all about. And so again, for all of us today who might be struggling with finding joy, finding joy, may all that end today as we are first and foremost, thankful for the gospel, thankful for all that Jesus has done for us. Amen? Forgave us of our sins. He cleansed us from all unrighteousness, that we stand before him as just, uh, just his children adopted into his family. That's where it starts. And then, indeed, may we exude that thankfulness to other people. May we show our gratitude for the gospel by being a blessing and a joy to other people. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And that leads us to point number two, not just gratitude in the gospel, but point number two, contentment in the gospel. Contentment in the gospel. Pick up with me in verse 11. It says this. It says, Paul writes, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I like the King James version here that uses the term abased. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. I like it mostly because of the alliteration between the A's there. You know, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. But in any and all circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I'm going to stop right there. And so we see that Paul, he clearly, when he went to this church at Philippi, he wasn't trying to put them on a guilt trip. It's not what he was trying to do. He wasn't trying to coerce this church in any way to try and help him in his need in any kind of way, okay? They helped Paul, this church helped Paul because of their love for him. However, the apostle is very, very clear here that had they not helped him, let's say the, the, the church at Philippi didn't help him at all. Let's say, let's say that they ignored uh, him being in prison or whatever. Even if that happened, according to Paul, he would have been just fine. And why is that? Well, because as he wrote in verse 11... He's, he said, I learned in whatever situation, whatever situation, I am to be what? Content. In whatever situation, I am to be content. And that term content there in the Greek, it's the word autokase, which it has the idea of satisfaction. It has the idea of, uh, of, of, of kind of just a... Just like you say, a contentedness. I mean, like that's why they translate it that way. Like, a, like a, just a... a a satisfaction in, in circumstances I put here independent of external circumstances that I'm just content. That no matter what happens, I'm just content in all kind of circumstances. And so, and so this kind of contentedness 
is one that, that has a, a continued joy. We're talking about rejoicing. We're talking about joy. A continued joy in all circumstances, situations, no matter what it may be. No matter if I'm in jail, no matter if I'm you know, locked up in prison, no matter if I'm bad or good, whatever it may be, no matter how bad it might be or how good it may be, I have a contentedness because, as Paul states, he has learned the secret of contentment. And so uh, clearly we see that, that contentment for the Christian, it ought to be in, first and foremost, according to verse 11 and 12, in whatever situation and in every circumstance. Notice the terminology he used, whatever situation, every circumstance. And so that means good or bad, no matter what may come, that I know the secret to being content. Meaning that by Paul's implication that there's going to be times wherein you are abounding, Paul uses that term, where you're doing very well, where things are going well for you, where the skies are clear, it's a beautiful day, and you know things are going great in my life, and nothing is wrong. And at the same time, there are going to be times in your life when you're going to feel abased, where you're going to feel low, where you're going to feel depressed, where things are not going to be going ideally for you. You're going to experience both in this life, according to the Apostle Paul. Many of you probably are aware of certain false teachers out there today who would claim that God, God has a wonderful plan for your life, right? He's a wonderful plan for your life, and that plan is for you to never, ever, ever struggle. That struggle is a sin, that you should never struggle in your life, that his plan for you is to be healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time in your life. That there's never a point in your life where you should struggle at all, where you should have any kind of, where you should have any kind of you know, strain in your life. Uh, again, there are entire movements out there. And again, it's infiltrated, not just, not just the major movements, but even into evangelical churches like ours. It, it just, just entire movements that would tell you that if you are experiencing hardship in your life, that you're, if you're experiencing bad things in your life, whether it's your health, whether it's your finances, whether it's relational issues in your life, that if you're experiencing any of those bad things, that you are outside of the will of God. They will tell you that. They're going to tell you that all of those things are outside of the will of God. They'll tell you that, that if you're experiencing pain, that if you're experiencing suffering in this life, that it is never, ever, ever the will of God. And thus, if you are experiencing those things, that you're doing something wrong, that you're doing something wrong in your Christian life, that God is punishing you in some way, shape, or form. Entire movements that will tell you that. And by the way, that teaching has indeed infiltrated itself. It has trickled itself down into even small churches like ours. But I'm going to tell you this. God's word begs to differ. God's word begs to differ. And besides the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, look at our Lord. Look at our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Was he always healthy, wealthy, and wise? Was the Lord Jesus always healthy, wealthy, and wise? No, he wasn't. I mean, we sing that song, we're going to be approaching Easter here pretty soon, right? Man of sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came, right? We call him the man of sorrows. And so beside the fact that, that our Lord Jesus Christ was called the man of sorrows, what else do we have? We have other godly men and women, talented men and women, amazingly holy men and women who've given their lives, their entire lives to the Lord throughout history, who have who have suffered major, major hardships. People who, who you would think would be the last ones to, to, to suffer hardship because they've done so much for the Lord and yet they've suffered major things. And so the truth is, is that the health and wealth gospel, 
that the health and wealth phenomenon that we see in our modern evangelical church today, I'm going to tell you something. It, it would have been one that <laughs> would be laughed at by the majority of true Christians throughout the ages, including, including those especially during the early church. Especially during the early church. Right? I mean, look at what was going on with Paul. You're seriously going to tell somebody like the Apostle Paul, who is in prison while he's writing this. That's where he's at. He was in prison multiple times, by the way. You're going to tell somebody like the Apostle Paul, thrown into prison, or we read in history, those who, who could potentially be killed for supporting somebody like Paul. Somebody, I mean, you could, you could have been killed in the most gruesome of ways back in the first century, especially for supporting Paul, but for supporting Jesus Christ. That, you know what, if, if, if you just pray the right way, that if you just, you know, if you just live the right way, if you're just less sinful in the right way or whatever, if you just name it and claim it, that you know what, that you're going to be, that everything's going to go well for you, that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You're going to tell these people that? Seriously? You're going to tell them that? No, obviously not. Obviously not. And why is that? Because especially the Christians, our brothers and sisters, especially in the first century, they had first and foremost a proper theology of suffering, they understood what it was like to suffer. And because of that, they understood a proper theology of contentment. They understood what it was like to suffer. And so therefore, they understood what it meant to be content. John Calvin, again, not to keep quoting him today, but he wrote the following. He said, hence, he said, Christians do not measure sufficiency by abundance, but by the will of God, which they judge uh, by what takes place, for they are persuaded that their affairs are regulated by God's providence and his good pleasure. And then a few uh, lines down, he said in the same commentary, he said this. He said, uh, the happiness promised us in Christ does not consist in outward advantages, such as leading a joyous and peaceful life, having rich possessions, being safe from all harm, and abounding with delights such as the flesh commonly longs after. No, our happiness belongs to the heavenly life, belongs to Christ. And so what we see here is that we see that, uh, that to embrace the teaching, this false teaching, that would tell you that to suffer, to, to have hardship in your life in whatever situation, whatever circumstance in your life, to, to embrace that idea that, that that is not God's intended will for your life, to embrace the fact that I should always be healthy, wealthy, and wise, that everything should always be going from my way because I'm a Christian. I'm going to tell you, if you bought into that, that is a complete denial of God's word. That's a complete denial of, of, of the scriptures. It really is. Kind of teaching today, by the way, it's not just a denial of the scriptures, but it's a, it's a complete denial of the nature of God himself. Namely, namely because he's sovereign. Okay, namely because his sovereignty, it, it denies the fact that, that whatever circumstance or whatever he brings into our life is of him, that he knows what's best in my life. Because again, it shows us that if we buy into that theology, that health and wealth and prosperity gospel, that if we buy into that, that we don't really understand who God is, that we don't understand his loving nature, that we don't understand his sovereignty, that we don't understand, by the way, how he can indeed take bad, which is more often than not, and utilize it for good. Amen? That's what our God can do. He said that back in Genesis chapter 50. He said it to Joseph. I can take evil and utilize it for good. And by the way, he did that in the greatest of ways when he took the death of our Lord upon the cross of Calvary. 
and he turned it into our salvation. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Puritan uh, Thomas Watson, he said this. He said, discontent is an ungrateful sin because we have more mercies than afflictions. And it's an irrational sin because affliction works for good. And again, it's a denial of the fact that everything that God brings into our life is for our good, as it says here. And so the Christian who understands, the, first and foremost, the gospel, the depths of mercy that is shown for them in Jesus Christ, embraces God's sovereignty, embraces him as the Lord of heaven, and indeed finds contentment in him in that way. They understand that everything that they have Everything that they will experience in this life is brought about by a sovereign God who, by the way, is not just up in heaven, you know, wheeling and dealing. He's not just up in heaven just kind of, you know, shooting off the hip. No, this God, folks, I said it last week during the sermon, this same sovereign God loves you. Amen? This God, sovereign God, loves you. And therefore, if that sovereign God loves you, who are we to question? Who are we to question when he brings good or bad into our lives, amen? Because why? Because everything that he brings into our life is obviously for our good, amen? If he's given us Christ, he's given us everything. And so amen to that. That, and, and may that be the source of our contentment. And so the contentment in the gospel has within itself this, this high degree, this very high degree to the sovereignty of God. And by the way, folks, I know you probably get sick and tired of hearing me preach about the sovereignty of God all the time. But I preach on it often because you need to hear it. And not just because you need to hear it, because I need to hear it. Okay? God is sovereign. Amen? He is sovereign over all things, and not just sovereign, but in that sovereignty, he chooses to love you. And so no matter what you are going through in your life, good or bad, you know, <laughs> ugly or pretty, whatever it may be, he intends it for your good. Everything, as I said last Sunday, happens for a reason. Every circumstance, whatever situation, as this text states, happens within the goodwill and the sovereign love of our great God. And proving this, as Paul attests to here in this text, notice, he, as our example, accepted this. He accepted what? Whatever situation. He accepted whatever circumstance in his life, good or bad, as from the hand of God. And may we follow Paul's example, amen? May we follow Paul's example. Jeremiah Burroughs, uh, Puritan, another Puritan, writes this. He said, Christian contentment, is that sweet, inward, quite gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition, in every condition. And so as, as Paul writes here, whether we are abounding, whether we're abounding, whether we're doing great circumstantially, and that word abounding there in the Greek, it has the idea of prospering. It's literally the word prosper, prosperity, Talk about the prosperity gospel. Whether you're prospering, right? Whether, whether you're abounding or on the opposite end of the spectrum, whether you're brought low, whether you're abased, which, by the way, is more often than not the reality of life, the harsh reality of life, that we should always be content in Christ. Always. Always content in Christ. And this becomes true, especially 
I would argue, the longer that you live. Because why? Because as you get older, things change. And oftentimes they don't change for the good, especially as you get older. You think things are going to get better as you get older. You have, you know, when you're a little kid, you can't wait to get older, right? I don't know why. I don't know why, you know, right? It's like, I can't wait to be an adult. Why? No, it's like, it's because there's so many bad things to being an adult. Why? Because things get harder as you get older, right? That's just the harsh reality of life. It just happens, right? It's because the longer that you live, the more, the more you experience what it means for this planet to be cursed and sinful, right? You experience your own sin and the, the stupid mistakes that you make, but also the curse of this planet, right? You know, what happens? I mean, just things that don't even... I'm not even talking about decision, the decisions that you make. We could talk all day about that. I do talk about that. But just, just your own body, right? How many of your bodies are decaying right now due to the curse? Uh, every hand should go up, right? Every one of you. Your back starts hurting, you know, all of these kind of things. You get, you know, whatever. You can't take care of yourself the way that you once did, right? Um, we live in a sin-cursed world. You know, we, we, you, know you, you have family and friends that... You know, they get sick and they die and, and, and you, you just kind of, you know, you're left alone. You know, you, you, you have things in your life that you just put your entire trust in. I don't even know what that might be. It might be your money. It might be your, it might be your job. It might be whatever. We put all of these things and then what ends up happening is that the Lord takes them away from us, right? There's nothing certain in this life. There is nothing absolutely certain. So the older that you get, again, if God wills that you get older, that things will change in your life. It's just not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It will happen. And therefore, my admonition for us today is that we learn contentment in the Lord right now. Amen? We learn contentment in Christ today, believer. That you embrace Jesus today. Fully today. That you embrace him as your source of contentment. That you understand today that if you are in Jesus Christ today, if you can honestly... Put your hand to heaven and say, look, I trust Jesus as my Savior. He has redeemed my soul. He has paid for every single one of my sins upon the cross of Calvary that I am one of his children. Folks, if you can honestly say that today, you have everything. Amen? You have everything. You have everything. And by the way, you don't need anything else. And if everything else in this life is taken away from you, if your health is taken away from you, if your job is taken away from you, if, you, if your house is taken away from you, if everything is taken away from you, if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. Amen? And why is that? Well, because the truth is, is that if you are a Christian, the only constant, the only one constant thing in your life, or by the way, in the next, is Christ. The only constant thing is Christ. Period. And so if you understand this, and you indeed understand his greatness. And you understand the beauty and the joy that comes from being a Christian. And I'm not just talking about a Christian in, in name only. I'm not just talking about uh, something religious that I do on Sunday morning and that's it. I'm talking about a true Christian. Somebody who understands the beauty of Jesus Christ. If you understand him and you understand how marvelous and amazing and infinite he is. That you have everything. That you have everything. And by the way, because you have everything, that Jesus will indeed be more than enough to keep you content in any and all circumstances. Amen? Amen. Pastor Alistair Begg, he wrote this. He said, Christian faith does not grant immunity from sadness and sickness, from bereavement and disappointment, at least not now. I like that he put that because it's true. One day... Being a Christian will eliminate all those things. But 
at least not for now. Those who suggest that it does mean the present enjoyment of health and wealth and peace and prosperity appeal to the general desire for well-being that marks our culture. But such a story is neither true to the Bible nor to human experience. And he's absolutely right. And so ultimately, I hate to be a Donnie Downer today, but we will struggle. We're going to suffer in this life. We're going to. It's part of it. But the purpose purpose of that struggle, that suffering, is that we would treasure Jesus Christ above all else. Amen? That we would treasure Jesus as the greatest treasure of it all. That we would look forward to being with Jesus. That we would, that we would just treasure him day by day. And again, that day when we will look him square in the eye, face to face. I've been preaching through Revelation, right? I say it almost every week, you know, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I look forward to that day when I can look Jesus in the face as my treasure and my reward, that we would look forward to that day to be with him. That's the reason why the Bible calls us what? The Bible calls us pilgrims, right? We're just pilgrims. Pilgrims passing through this life. And why is that? Because, again, we're just sojourners. We're traveling through this valley of the shadow of death. We're, we're, we're going through this, this, this darkness, this this. This life that's filled with hardship and all of these, these things. To what? To something greater. To something much greater. To not just heaven, but to that celestial city where we will look our Savior who paid for every one of our sins and has won our salvation, where we will look him square in the eye and we will be with him for eternity upon eternity upon eternity. I look forward to that day. Do you? Amen? Amen. To that day wherein, I mean, we, we, we sung it earlier, where Jesus will be our all in all. I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day when my king and master is right there, where he's my, my all in all. But that said, this is all great to theorize about, and I've kind of just preached about the ideals of this today. Um, but where does the rubber meet the road? Okay, um, how, how exactly do I learn what I'm talking about today. How do I learn contentedness in the gospel? Okay, how do I exactly do I learn that? And that's what Paul deals with next, verse 11 and 12. Notice, he says, notice, notice the words that he, he uses here. He says, I have learned, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then he uses that same term again. He says, I have, in verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need term learned there. He had to learn it. And that term learn there is an interesting term in the Greek. It's the, it's the word memumai, uh, which has, it, it's, it's an interesting word because, again, we, we see it translated here into three words. It says, it's literally, it's an interesting word because there's two different words, again, just getting into all the Greek and all that stuff, but there's two different words for learn, and this is a unique one. But it literally is translated, as you see here at the end of verse 12, learned the secret. It's the idea of something being revealed to us, a, a mystery being revealed. That's the idea. It's not just the idea of sitting in a classroom and, and being taught something, but a mystery being revealed. I remember when I was a kid in, in the 90s, there was this TV show on TV uh, with, uh, uh, there was this guy with a mask, and, and, uh, and it was like, it was called something like the Magician's Secrets Revealed, uh, where this guy in a mask went on TV, and he basically showed you how the, the, the rabbit was pulled out of the hat, and 
you know, showed you all these different things, like showed you exactly how it was done. Like, you know, you put somebody in the box. If you're a magician, you put them in the box, and all of a sudden the box falls down around them. Do you, any of you remember that show? Remember that one? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I love that show. My mom was, my, my mom was a, I don't know if any of you guys know this about my mom, but she was, she was a clown, okay? She actually had a business. She was a clown, and she still does it every, every so often. And, uh, and so she did a lot of magic tricks and stuff like that, and not embarrassing her today, but uh, so magic tricks were kind of a big thing in our family or whatever, and that's probably where we get all the children's ministry ideas and things. We like, we love VBS, we love doing kids' ministries because, uh, you know, probably from Ma, uh, but anyway. Uh, but, but the idea of learning how all of these magic tricks were, were done was, was really cool to me, so I, I would, whenever that was on TV, I would, I would, I would tune in, but, but it's the idea of, 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 of a secret something that you don't know how that they do, they do it, being revealed. And, and that's the same idea that, that Paul has in this text. Uh, Paul had the idea of a secret. He used the term secret here. Uh, secret to contentment being revealed. How exactly that is revealed to us. And we obviously know already, and I've already revealed the secret, is obviously we know that the secret to contentment, the true Christian contentment, is joy in the gospel. It's, it's joy in Jesus Christ. However, the fact that, that Paul reveals, re- refers to this here as a secret that needs to be learned, something that, that's a mystery that needs to be solved. That, as I said before, that's interesting because, and this is kind of where it's interesting to point out the Greek here, because I believe that the intention of Paul using that particular word is to show us really where our human heart is naturally inclined to show us where our human heart naturally is. And what is that implication? Well, his implication is that contentment, true Christian contentment, is, is something that, that doesn't come naturally for us. Something that doesn't come naturally for us, even as Christians. That, that contentment is not something that, that, that simply needs to be learned, but rather that it's something that needs to be revealed to us, that, that we need to experience, that it's a secret that needs to be revealed. It's not something that you just read and be revealed to you. No, it's something that needs to be revealed. It's a secret that needs to be revealed. In other words, the secret to Christian contentment must not only, it, it, it can't just be theory to us. It can't just be, I, I, this is going to sound crazy, but, but again, you're not just going to learn Christian contentment by reading in a theology book somewhere. Okay, you're not just going to read it by reading a bunch of people who understood Christian contentment, who understood Christian contentment, who understood Christian contentment. Okay, you're not going to do that. All right, not, it's not just a head knowledge thing that we read about in some big theology book somewhere, but rather it's something that needs to be revealed to us. In other words, as I said before, it's something that you need to experience. And we see that with the case of Paul, especially, right? Apostle Paul knew what it was like to experience. Christian contentment through what? Well, through hardship. Paul understood hardship. You know, we read very clearly of Paul's hardships. We read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 especially. Chapter 11, verse 23. Paul writes this. He says, I'm talking like a madman, he writes, with, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, 
often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so we understand this. We understand this from the text of the scripture, from the biblical example of the apostle himself. He understood exactly how we understand exactly how he learned the secret to contentment. And it was learned through what? It was learned through providential suffering in his life. In order to do what? In order to point him to Christ, who is indeed, as we've been talking about through this entire sermon, the centerpiece to contentment. And at the same time, again, this has been true throughout the, the, the ages, not just to the Apostle Paul, but through saints that have gone before us. It's very, very, <laughs> very, very common that, that the means to Christian contentment is through suffering. That, we've had, that, that Christians have had to learn what it means to understand the secret of contentment through suffering. And again, we, we understand this. We talked earlier about the, the early church who had to learn as you know, they were thrown into prison. Loved ones thrown into prison. Loved ones being fed to lions in front of them. You know, we read about this later on in church history as you know, the Protestant reformers were thrown into jail you know, for, for just trying to translate the Bible. Those of you who, who hang around with me often, you understand how I, I, I talk oftentimes about Bible translation and how, what, a, what a blessing it is to be able to have the, the completed scriptures in our hands. You, you realize that many, many brothers and sister Christians have been thrown into jail just for translating this into a language that you could read. That the Bible that you have in your lap today is as a result of much suffering by many of our brother and sister Christians. And we see that in our modern brother, brothers and sisters today. Uh, models of contentment, and, and that you know, they learn that the secret to contentment is by growing in their maturity and, and joyfulness in the Lord and, no, and nothing else. One of my favorite examples of, of this in all time is uh, the hymn writer uh, Fanny Crosby. You guys know Fanny Crosby? She wrote the, she wrote the hymns, uh, Praise Him, Praise Him. We didn't sing any today. We probably should have, but, you know, we, uh, you know, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Uh, you know, near the cross, near the cross, and uh, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you didn't know this about her, but she was blind. And by the way, she was blind uh, due to a medical mistake that took place when she was only six weeks old. She was, she was blind her entire life. An amazing, amazing woman. Uh, and uh, what's more amazing is not only that, that she was blind for that long and then utilized, you know, the the gifts that God had given her in, in that musical way, but, but also because of what her first musical composition read. And it read this. It said this. This is Fanny Crosby, her very, very first hymn that she wrote. It said this. Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, what? Contented I will be. Amen? And so she knew. Fanny Crosby knew the secret of Christian contentment, even though she was blind. And so, again, that's my admonition for all of us today, that we would learn that same, that same secret, that same secret to Christian contentness that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we would learn that and learn that well. I brought up with me today uh, one, of my, one of my favorite books, um, and I would really highly recommend this for those of you who are... Uh, building your library or whatever. It's, uh, it's a collection. I know we as Baptists don't like this, but this is a collection of, of prayers. It's a prayer book. It's called The Valley of Vision. It's, it's, from, uh, it's a collection of Puritan prayers. 
uh, you know, usually through the 1600s, 1700s, and uh, American Puritans and whatnot. And um, I, I, I love this book, and I go to it often because, again, it brings you back to, to the reality of what I'm talking about today, of where Christian contentedness is found. And it really starts right at the beginning, the very, very first uh, prayer. And again, I know we don't like prayer books, but uh, sometimes I know with me it's, I mean, the, the Bible says it, that we don't know what to pray, and, uh, and oftentimes a prayer book can help you to be able to kind of push you to what to pray about, and that's one of the reasons why I love this book. But, but in regard to this issue of Christian contentedness, uh, Valley of Vision begins with this very, very first prayer. It says this, and again, I have it up on the screen, but, uh, and it has a couple other lines right before it, but it says this. It says, Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, Thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. And then I have the rest up on the screen. It says, let me learn by paradox. And that term paradox is the word secret. They learn by secret that the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from deepest wells, and the deeper the well, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in the valley. Amen? Amen. And so may indeed that be true of all of us. May we find God's strength and joy in the valley. But only when we understand that kind of contentment will we indeed be led uh, to that truth that God also not only brings us joy, that he not only brings us contentedness, uh, but he also brings us strength, which is our final and very, very brief point today as I finish up today. Point number three, strength in the gospel. Read with me that last verse. One of my favorite verses in all scripture, Philippians 4.13, it says this, I can do how many things? All things through him who strengthens me. And so the hymn there, of course, is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, again, uh, sometimes a better translation of that would be translated, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so clearly, for the Christian, Christ is the source of our strength. And the term strength there is an interesting word in the Greek. It's the word dunamo, which obviously you can kind of hear it there. It has the idea of dynamite. It's where we get the English word dynamite from. Meaning this is that not only does Christ strengthen us, not only does he give us strength, but that he gives us more than enough strength. More than enough strength to, to meet anything and anything that, may, that we might face in this life. That's the idea through this text. Whether it's times when we're, when we're abounding, whether it's the good times when everything seems to be going our way, when the skies are all clear, no problems on the horizon, or when we are abased, when we're brought low, when, things, when, 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 when we're in seasons of depression, when we're, in, when we're just on our knees begging the Lord, Lord, do something. In either case, what does Jesus promise? Jesus promises to strengthen us no matter what. Amen? 
That's what this text is. And, and he promises, by the way, not just to strengthen us, but in this particular case, that he would give us so much strength that it's like, it's like a stick of dynamite going off in your soul. That it's like something that just explodes inside of you during those times of desperation. That's the idea here. That, that, that in situations, by the way, where you should be depressed, where the world will tell you that you should be at your worst, that you should just give up, right? That you should throw in the towel. What do you do? You don't. And why is that? Why do you do that? Well, because it is Christ's strength. It is Christ's dynamite, that dynamite of God's grace that strengthens us no matter what. Not just in some things, but in how many things, according to this verse? All things. Amen? Amen. That it's Christ's strength. It's the good news of the gospel that allows us to rejoice. And so I just say this, and I'm going to end with this, that if you're struggling today, I said it at the beginning, if you're struggling with joy today, believer, maybe you're feeling abased rather than abounding. Maybe you're feeling weak today in your walk with Christ. Let me remind you today to once again to look to that only source of strength, that explosion of strength that Christ promises, and that is him. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the gospel. Be grateful and just amazingly thankful for the salvation that he's given you in Christ. Look forward to the day that, that you'll be with him once again and find contentment in that. And then finally, no matter what your situation might be, might you experience that explosion of strength in Christ, no matter how weak you might feel today. Amen? And may he get all the glory as he fills us with his joy as a result. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for this word. Thank you, God, for speaking into my life, Lord, as a result of it. And, uh, Lord, I praise you so much for Philippians 4, 10 to 13, Lord, especially verse 13. And, Lord, I thank you so much, God, that we can indeed do all things through you who strengthen us. Lord, abased, abounding, good or bad, ugly or pretty, God, whatever it may be, God, we can do all things through you. And so, Lord, I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters today, Lord, who might be struggling, might be weak, might be depressed. God, may be struggling with the issue of contentedness, God, that you would grant your contentedness to them. And Lord, through that contentedness, Lord, that you would grant joy, joy in the gospel. Lord, as we realize that all we have is you, and indeed all we need is Christ. So Lord, get the glory through it all as we conclude this service in Jesus' precious name. Amen.